welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Thank you. <clears throat> My name is Sylvia, and I'm a grateful recovering sexaholic. Hi, Sylvia. Can you hear me? Yeah, loud, loud and clear. Good, okay. Um, this is kind of stressful to me at the moment. I hope you will excuse me, but we've been having trouble with Zoom with me. At, I am not a computer whiz, and I don't think I ever will be. But um, we're going to try. I uh, I would like to tell you a little bit about myself from the beginning, and I will tell you uh, a little bit more about what life is like today. And in the beginning, I was um, uh, a lonely child. I was a daydreamer. I was never present. People would tell me things I wouldn't hear because I was always off in my head somewhere. Uh, for instance, was my aunt was my teacher, and she told everybody in the class that if we needed to go to the restroom, we should raise our hands and ask and go. And I thought she said that if we needed to go, just raise our hands and put our name on the board. And I did that, and I got, she gave me a spanking board. And I hated her. Oh, I hated her for the rest of my life until after I had a child. I got acquainted, and I shared that with her. And um, she was... Um, um, she didn't know that I had uh, felt that way about it and didn't know that I, I didn't understand about it. Uh, I, um, I just never, I, I felt lonely. I, my sister, my older sister was a very smart person and she got good grades and she um, did well in school and with people and and I didn't do well with people and I didn't do well in school and my younger sister was very pretty and everybody thought she was adorable because she was young little and so I felt uh, like I was less than all the time. I um discovered when I got older that what I my problem was that I think I had ADD, the attention deficit disorder, because I would disassociate and not know what people said to me. So I uh, see Luke's name is up here. I don't know if he's telling me something. I don't care. Really. No, you're doing great. Okay. <laughs> uh, good. 
I didn't know what the name meant. Anyway, um, I, uh, my, like I said, I flirted, so I flirted with the boys. I, I felt less than, and I flirted with the boys, and I found I got lots of attention doing that. So flirting became my uh, source of uh, uh, getting acquainted with people. And um, it, it worked quite well for many years for me. And then it began to turn on me. But in the beginning, uh, when I was hurt, and I had lots of boyfriends, and I thought that was being popular. So I um, um, continued to do that. And then I got, I got in, uh, pregnant with my first child. First time I had sex, I had, I got pregnant, and um, so I had to get married. In those days, you didn't do anything else but get married. And so we got married, and um, um, I had a boy, a fine, fine, healthy boy, and he was a very good baby, and. Um, uh, then I had a daughter after that, and, and uh, when she came, she was uh, not as dependable or as um, uh, helpful as my son, or uh, in other words, she kept getting in trouble. And uh, she became an addict, and we searched out help for her. And in searching for help for her, um, we found a well-set program of Alcoholics Anonymous and counseling, and uh, joined the, that fellowship, and I joined Al-Anon, because I didn't believe I was an addict. However, as time went on and education continued, I watched an education series one day that told me about uh, addiction, and it said that um, uh, it gave a description of an addict and the the high and the low. And I watched that, and I said, "That's me. I have all of those feelings, and that's exactly the way I act, and that's exactly who I am. And I must be an addict. Only my addiction is to uh, men, not to the drugs." So I began to believe that, and I, I started working on that in terms of my thinking. I, um, I went to a lot of meetings at that time. I got into OA and, S and AA. Al-Anon and OA were my two choice uh, places, and uh, I figured if I had to keep dieting, I must have and overeating problems, so I did both of them. And I was going to about six meetings a week. And then I overheard this man at an open AA meeting say that he was a sex addict and he was looking for people to meet with him. And this is where I probably start crying because I do every time. So you'll have to excuse that part. But I am, um, I, uh, I heard 
this man introduced himself. His name was Jess. And uh, he said that he was a sex addict and he needed somebody to meet with him. And anyone interested, contact him. And I thought, that's me, that's me. I need to get a hold of him. But I didn't get a hold of him that night. And about a week later, he was the speaker at our aftercare meeting. And then that speaker's meeting, he told his story. And I knew, and I heard a story, that I belonged in that program. And so I sought him out afterwards and asked him what to do about that. And he told me about a meeting at his house um, on a um, Saturday, I believe, Thursday, anyway. He had a meeting, and I went to the meeting. But before I went, I told all my friends in OA about it. And all of these in OA thought that was a good idea. And so they all believed they did. Belong to. So they were going to meet me at this restaurant and we were going to go to the meeting, but they didn't show up at the restaurant and I went to the meeting alone. When I got there, there were three men and myself and it was in a man's apartment and I thought, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? This is too much like fantasy and it was really scary. I started not to go, but I went in and I could tell right off that two of the men wanted recovery, and one of them did not. And um, so the uh, uh, men who wanted recovery kept the meeting going in a, in a healthy way. And uh, about halfway through, the ladies that had told me they would be there showed up, and so that helped a lot. And in the beginning, I started... And I was so desperate. I had been feeling so suicidal and, and anxious because I didn't like the way I was acting and behaving. My uh, uh, form of acting out was a flirting and um, uh, adultery. And um, that was very hard for me to face myself in that area because I was raised in church, my dad was a Methodist preacher, I thought that I, I thought I had uh, knew better, but I, I couldn't do better. And I, I, no matter how hard I tried, I could not change because I tried over and over. I was never going to do it again, and I would end up doing it again. Therefore, I knew that I had a problem. And I knew that I belonged to SA. So I started going to meetings. And um, I got sober right off the bat. Um, early in the, in the program, they had told me I needed to go to three meetings a week. I was already going to three Al-Anon meetings and three OA meetings. So I was at three Alan, uh, SA meetings for that. And I pretty much did that. I'm not positive, and I won't say that I went to nine meetings a week, but I certainly did very close to it because I would go to, uh, go to them almost every day. And I felt better after a meeting. I always felt better. The first meeting I went to, I uh, met the person that, that 
of my um, addiction at that time for lunch. And so the first few weeks of my uh, program, I would uh, meet for lunch and then go to the meeting afterwards so that I wouldn't act down. And I did that for about a month. And I uh, decided then, actually, I went into the meet with the person and I prayed that God would show me uh, what I needed to do. And when I went in, he showed me that the other person did not have the same belief system that I had. And I uh, decided that uh, if, if he wasn't feeling the same way I was, I didn't need to be there. So I quit meeting and uh, focused more on my program. I pretty well did what I was told in the beginning for the first two years. I was very adamant about my meetings, my meditation, my journal. I did all of that regularly and ferociously because I was so frightened of not uh, getting well. I did not want to be sick like that. It hurt too much. So I um, focused real hard on that, and I got into the recovery. And as I recovered, there were many, many miracles that happened in my life. Um, my daughter got sober. She got sober on the same day, um, on the same month, not the same day. She got sober from her addiction the same month that I got sober from mine. And uh, um, so we have the same day celebration every year, or the same week at, uh, at celebration. Anyway, um, that was a miracle that she got sober because she had tried a couple of times before. And it was a miracle that I was sober because I had been trying for a long time to be to be better about that and to be dependable. I um, um, believe that I, I, I got in the program thinking that uh, I would uh, divorce my husband and marry this other person and live happily ever after. And of course, my fantasies did not come true, and I'm grateful today that they did not come true. But it took a while for me to become grateful, I can tell you. I uh, uh, continued to work on the being sober, and I felt better. We um, um, I had bought a building in the beginning of our uh, uh, AA sobriety with my husband. We had bought this building for my sister, and it had been uh, full of addicts, and one young man had uh, shot himself in the head there and uh, had marijuana growing in his room. And so we'd become real concerned that that uh, people needed halfway houses. And by this time, we had my daughter in the halfway house, and um, she was doing well there. So we wanted to uh, have a halfway house, and we approached the uh, 
organization that was trying to start one, which was Chance for Change was the name of it. And they were trying to uh, open a halfway house and had gotten a man to come to Oklahoma to um, start that halfway house, but they'd never been able to get it started. So I was there having meditation one day and it occurred to me that that building might be a good building to have a have a halfway house in. So we called Tony and Tony came and looked it over and we talked about it. So we started a halfway house with a counselor and one client. And as the department emptied out of the people, of uh, people that were living there, and our renters moved out, we moved in a recovering person and put them in and worked with the halfway house that way. Uh, we call this the Freedom House. And um, um, it began to grow, and, and uh, it was, um, uh, it was, it was inspiring and, and exciting. And um, I loved it. We uh, opened another house. I started doing education for counseling, to be a counselor. And I was working on that, and um, we uh, opened a second halfway house, which we called Seneca, which was the boys' house, adolescent boys, because that's what Tony wanted to work with. So we started the halfway house, and um, um, we... Um, uh um, yeah excuse me for now while I take a breath I got excited there with that and uh, that sidetracked in my thinking about how long I'm taking to do this I don't want to go over and anyway back to my story we um we had the Seneca house and we had the uh, freedom house and then the uh, Freedom House caught fire and burned. And we had to uh, move Freedom House to another building. And in the process, um, we um, opened another house called the Phoenix House, which was out of the ashes. The Phoenix came. And so we had another adult program that was the same as the first adult program, which is um, co-ed, both of them were, we had the Phoenix House and Freedom House and Seneca House, and then I wanted a girls halfway hat really badly, and so we started working with adolescent girls, and we were able to open a, a girls house. But in the process of that, I had what was, I guess, my biggest spiritual experience of my life that I've ever had. And that was in uh, um, working with the girls. I, uh, I was praying about a name for the halfway house. I kept praying on it, 
And uh, went to uh, on a trip with a bunch of people that uh, I didn't know any of. It was a Shriner meeting in uh, Fort Smith, Arkansas. And all the ladies that were on this trip were wives of these uh, Shriner men. And um, we went on this trip in a bus and we got there and the ladies all went to a shopping mall and I didn't know any of them so I went off by myself in the mall and um, was walking around looking at things and came to a jewelry booth and jewelry booth said um, had jewelry I stopped and tried on a little ring well at that time I was a very tiny person I, I was short but I was also very thin, and I had a size three pinky finger, which nobody ever had a size three pinky ring. And I was trying on pinky rings, and they had this one that was purple, and it fit me perfectly. And I started to buy it, and then I thought, no, I don't need a purple ring. And I said that to the gentleman that was selling it, and he said, well, that's an amethyst. An amethyst stands for remedy against drunkenness and relief from intoxication. And I said, what? And I just screamed it at him, and he repeated it. And I called, what, again? And I was so shocked because I had been praying all the way on the bus. I had been sitting there praying about it. And I thought, this is the prayer answered. So... I couldn't hardly wait till the trip was over so I could tell Jean about it and come back home and tell everybody that I found the name Amethyst for the girls' halfway house. And we opened that house and had that for several years. We had some problems along the way with that. One was that our counselor was, uh, happened to be perhaps a sex addict himself. He did not want me mentioning sex addiction the clients at all didn't stop me any but he didn't want to like it but uh, turned out that he had sex with one of our adolescent girls and we ended up with a million dollar lawsuit against us so um, that was a very frightening period of time and we happened to have a, a, a friend uh, who was an attorney and uh, he and his wife we were we're good friends. We were in a group called um, Friday Night Fair, which was a group of parents of uh, adolescent children that uh, were in recovery or not recovery, depending upon the child, but, but the family was in recovery. So we had this meeting on Friday nights, and, and uh, this uh, gentleman that was an attorney um, called my husband up and told him that uh, he could maybe help us with that because he knew the family of the young lady because they, the man was also an attorney that uh, the young lady was abused. And he talked to them and they uh, agreed to drop the charges if we just pay them back their money that they had spent on it. And we're glad we did that. And that, that was another one of our big miracles. 
But to me, to that it all. Miracles were that my daughter was sober. My husband was sober. I was sober. And I had a son, and he did not particularly care for the program. He had his other ideas of things, and uh, was moving along with that. And uh, lived out of town at that point, I think. Anyway, um, the other miracles were opening each of these halfway houses. And uh, we ended up, because of the legal issues of halfway, by calling them uh, um, independent living. Um, and uh, people would live with it. People would live there and, and be uh, sober in order to live there. And uh, we had a program that was a good program. Tony, Tony was a good counselor. And it, he, uh, he just had another addiction he wasn't dealing with. And um, we, of course, had to dismiss him. And it was a very painful thing about because all of our uh, adolescents and all the people that he had worked with were angry with us because they thought we treated him unfairly and of course we couldn't tell him why. You know, that's against the law for us to reveal any of the reasons. So um, it was a very painful thing that uh, we worked through that. There just have been so many miracles along the way. Um, my daughter came home sober from um, Omaha, Nebraska, after her year in a uh, halfway house there. And um, uh, she went to work for us at, at our, uh, at, in the offices of the um, Freedom of Choice was the name of our company at the time. We changed that later. The Phoenix Recovery Institute, um, due to financial reasons, we would go broke and then we would be able to manage to get back up again and, and start again. We were not very good business managers. Um, we did have a passion for the program and we had a passion for uh, the idea of the halfway houses. So, we worked on those really hard. And um, um, today, I will read that we lost, we closed the program in 1999. And uh, uh, we um, um, just we continued with our meetings. We continued with our with our own programs, but we no longer had the halfway houses, and that to me was a very disheartening, and I was very disappointed, and I, I struggled a lot with uh, with the feeling of failure, and and uh, um, I still have a problem with that. I I loved doing what I was doing, and I loved having the program, it was inspirational to me, and uh, it was painful, but um, 
during that period of time, also my son got married and was married about 12 years and his wife died. She had MS and she died and uh, she was only about 40 years old. And that was a painful thing for my son and, and for all of us. And uh, later, a couple of years later, my son decided to go into the ministry and he went away. He had a, a different, but this was like two years or three, about three years after uh, Charlotte had died. And uh, he went to uh, seminary in Kentucky and took his new family with him to Kentucky. He became a minister. He is a minister today in uh, in a Methodist church and um, um, I'm very very grateful for him and his life that he's um, been able to find the God of his understanding and and be of service to that God just as we are and we have continued in our program active in our church, active in the program. I um, have been very active in, in SA since I got into it. I have been uh, on the board of trustees. I've been uh, in, in the very beginning. SA in the beginning started uh, six months after I got into the program and I went to um, I'm not sure if I've gone over my time or not. I'm looking at this one. No problem, Sylvia. Have I got more time? Yes. Yeah. yeah. You still have about you still have about five minutes actually. Five minutes? Yeah. Would that be okay for you? If that's okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. I I thought I was gonna do better than this. I, I usually uh watch my clock pretty closely, but I guess I got so pulled away with it trying to get connected that I forgot about what I was doing. Anyway, to cut it short, I'm going to tell you that SA started in, uh, with us in Sydney Valley, California. I was six months, seven months sober. I went to a conference that uh, Roy Kay had there in Simi Valley, and there were only 18 of us there. I thought that I was going to go, and there were going to be all these women that were in the program and would tell me all about how to recover. I was the most sober woman there. And uh, <clears throat> the other person that had more sobriety that was there, other than Roy, was uh, Jess L., and uh, some of you have heard tapes of Jess, I'm sure, and I'm sure you've heard tapes of Roy. And uh, I uh, was able to start with working with them. That first conference meeting, we uh, elected officers and, and had this whole thing uh, scheduled as uh, a business thing. And then at the end of it, Jess says, Let's just meet every six months for fellowship and not do all this business stuff. We dropped it. None of us ever did anything in terms of our election of 
social secretary or whatever. We just decided to have fellowship. So six months later, we had fellowship. And six months later than that, we did too. I had my book of it here to tell you how order. But I can tell you, we have a book out that is the order in which we had those meetings. And it's called The Beginning of Essay. And um, um, I'm sorry, my food's been delivered where I live. Uh, anyway, we um, uh, set up, just had the meetings. That booklet is uh, the beginning of essay, and I think it's a brief that you'll see how it began. Uh, we had conferences at the, the cities that were uh, there, had a conference once every six months, and we still had them over six months up until we got into the virus that we've been into here, and uh, that has really put a, a, a problem into the situation. Now we're doing our programs on Zoom, which is, this is one of the biggest miracles in our lives, is to have this kind of program. Because this program, all of us, I don't know what we would do if we weren't able to communicate the way we're able to communicate today. This is fantastic. I am so grateful for it. But anyway, I served in all the different offices that I was allowed to serve in for all the length of time that they would allow me to serve. So mostly what I do now is I simply uh, answer phone and do some sponsoring and I uh, have some great sponsorees that uh, make me work my program better. And that's what sponsoring is about for me is, is that it helps me to grow and um, uh, continue to grow. And um, I am I'm grateful for it. Sexology Anonymous. I can't tell you. It, it would have taken me another few hours to show you all the different miracles and things that have happened uh, with us. At this point in time, Gene and I are living in an uh, independent senior citizens community, and uh, we had three meals delivered to our door daily, which was just happening there. I got my uh, dinner delivered. And um, we uh, um, do some activities. They have a few activities that we can do together, and the rest of them we have to do kind of individually. But it's a beautiful place to be. We have a lake outside the windows, and I have my dog here, and so it's it's a nice nice place. And everybody here is nice, and there. Went my time, so I thank you very much for listening to me, and I hope that you keep coming back because it works if you work it. Hey Sylvia, Laura, thank you so much for your story. Um, I have a question. Um, I remember you were sharing um, earlier today with me about how you weren't sure you were writing definition. A lot of challenges to why to change this definition and you got a letter in the mail said that letter in the mail changed um, your position on this definition um, do you remember that you care a little bit about it 
Thank you so much, Sylvia. Well, um, I, uh, I very, very much remember that letter, and that is one of the uh, uh, miracles, I think, in this program is that the sobriety definition has been a, a deal of a contention over all, all 36 years that I've, 37 years that I've been in this program. And uh, it's, it's been a continuous battle all the way through, um, sometimes more bloody than others. But the, the, I got a letter in the mail from the, uh, the gentleman that, of the gay uh, community that wanted to tell me that when they went to other meetings that had open sobriety definition, that there was too much sharing from people about, about the addiction, and they found that they needed a meeting that people didn't talk about the addiction so much, and and uh, um, if they were still continuing in it, then they didn't continue to talk about it, and that's what they felt about the ones that had open sobriety was that the, uh, uh, well, a counselor said to me one time that she believed in the open sobriety definition until she had one guy come one week and, and talk to her and uh, tell her problem and he was breaking up and unhappy with his lover and he uh, um, next week and he broke up with him and the next week he came back with a new lover and so it was too easy to have a committed relationship. And uh, they did not like that definition. They wanted the definition that said no sex with anyone other than uh, partner. Um, and uh, anyway, we, uh, that, whenever they said that, I, it just convinced me that, that we need, that, needed to have that kind of a sobriety definition. Uh, the, um, the other one gave too much freedom to us. And uh, um, we set that if we take the freedom wherever we can get it. And so that was the way with that. I um, uh, I could go on and on about that. Oh, their remark also was that all the other programs have the open sobriety definition and there's no place else for us to go. And if you take that away from us, where do we go? And so that was the, that was the one that convinced me that there wasn't no other place. All the others have the open sobriety. And there is no place for a person to go where they want a, a definite answer. So it's been that way ever since. And uh, I'm not responsible for that. The fellowship is responsible for it. But that was the letter that made me at that, time, at that particular time. I happened to be chairman of the board. And I decided um, that that was the time. And I started pushing and helping to, to do it that way and encouraging and, and trying to get, trying to be of assistance. 
I love the program, and I just wanted to survive. And I cannot believe how it has spread all over the world like it has. And I will attribute that to my, uh, one of the persons in my, uh, in my group named David T, because he has traveled this world over. And every place he goes, he's got the little seed. And uh, I will attribute a lot of that today. So I am grateful, but he's not the only one who's done that. There are others. I just, this is the one I know about. But I know there's a lot of others who have done the same thing, and I am grateful to all of you for doing that. Because I can't, I can't picture how many people there are in this fellowship. And it started out with 18. Miracle. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Sylvia. Uh, Nancy has a question also. Yeah, hi, Sylvia. I got tears running down my face. I love you so much. And um, am I unmuted? No, no, you're fine. Okay. Yeah, I just love you, Sylvia. And I remember one thing that you would say, and I didn't think it ever be possible. You said, Nancy, join SA, you'll see the world, or something like that. And um, look what we have here. This is the world right here on this screen. And that's so amazing. Um, I also... Something I always hear you say is um, for which I will never be sufficiently grateful. And I wonder if you could talk about what that means to you, that when you say I will never be sufficiently grateful. Well, I had a sponsor in Nashville, and um, she was one of the beginning sponsorees. And she worked this program really diligently for a number of years and had really good sobriety. And uh, that was her phrase at, uh, every time she spoke, was that she was never sufficiently grateful. And I, I picked it up from her. And I heard a man, Dave, uh, um, yeah, I have senior moments. I'm sorry. In a few minutes, I'll think of his name. Anyway, I heard this other speaker the other day on, on tape that uh, talked about being from Nashville, and uh, he mentioned this that also, and it made me think about her. And uh, she quit program and got married, and, and I have no idea what happened to her from that point on. But he mentioned that he had heard from her. So I've been thinking, I'm going to call him and ask him what he heard from her. I'm anxious to hear what's happening to her. But uh, when she said that, it just, I really have not ever been sufficiently grateful. I'm sorry that my phone is ringing. And I can't stop it because I can't reach it. So anyway, that's, that's the reason for I'm never sufficiently grateful because I miss her, and that reminds me of her, and it reminds me of when we go 
and leave. That no one hears from us again unless we come back. So, I'm grateful. Thank you, Nancy. I love you too. Thank you, Sylvia. Then we have Stan from Alaska, who also has a question. Stan, you have to unmute. I'm sorry, I, I, I didn't hear what you had to say. Oh, Stan from Alaska is going to ask a question also. Hey, Sylvia. Um, Stan from Alaska, appreciate your share. Um, I heard early on in your share, you talked about daydreaming. Um, can you ex explain your experience, strength, and hope with dealing with uh, daydreaming and uh, how do you uh, overcame that obsession? I'm sorry, I didn't get that. A question about uh, daydreaming um, and, and okay. issues with that. How did you deal with daydreaming? Uh, well, what I've done with daydreaming is that I turned them into prayers. I just, uh, instead of when I feel myself going into a daydream, I would uh, talk to God instead of other people in my mind. So, and God's taking care of me. Not always the way I want him to, but, <laughs> but he's taking care of me better than I expected to. Oh. Yeah, I, I was able to reach at that time. I'm sorry. <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> no problem, Sylvia. Thank you. The next question is from Lee. Uh, Lee from Nashville. Hi, Sylvia. Uh, this is Lee from Nashville. I have uh, been uh, in SA recovery for maybe uh, since May of 1986. And I just wanted to say that uh, one of the uh, uh, big uh, parts of my recovery was Jean P, who was uh, the person that you referred to. And she did indeed say that uh, I'm never sufficiently grateful over and over again. And I remember it to this day. I have another sponsee since 1986 named Judson and uh, Judson uh, still talks to me every day on the phone and he ended he ends it well and I'm never sufficiently grateful so genes uh, and your legacies have carried on and I wanted you to say that I wanted to say that also I remember Harvey at that time sponsor was Jess and I assume that was the Jess that you knew uh, but I think he had moved to Montana, but I'm not sure. Could you tell me that? Whether Jess uh, ever moved or was there a different Jess that sponsored Harvey? It was the same Jess that sponsored Harvey. Okay. I I thought it was. I heard Jess speak a lot. He was very good. And I heard yeah. him through Harvey, too. Yeah, he, he was a good speaker. And he carried the message. He was a he was like Dave T. He carried the message all over. He carried it to OA because he was a, a frequent speaker at, at conferences for OA. And so when he go to a, a conference for OA and speak, he would tell them about his program and essay. And 
and uh, a lot of people came from that. Yeah, I've been in OA now for 33 years, and uh, that is a good place to carry the message. I know. I, and so I, uh, I'm just thrilled to hear you speak. I, I haven't seen you since 1986, but it's, uh, it's, it's good to hear you. Thanks. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, I've been to every conference up until Israel. And I missed two conferences in between the beginning and Israel. And um, so I, I was there. I missed you. I hope that I you guess go back. I, I was there. I was there last uh, time in Nashville. Is, is when I was there last. I was there then too. Well, we didn't cross paths. Because it was a big, 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 I think there were 600 of us. Now, that's a bit different than 18. <laughs> it was small in 1986. Yeah. Yeah, we were still small enough to know each other. Yes. Thank you. Appreciate you Thanks. asking. Thank you, Lee. Thank you, Sylvia. Uh, Daniel, you have a question? Yes, I'm Daniel, a uh, sexaholic, uh, living in Barcelona from Colorado. Uh, Sylvia, I just wanted to thank you very, very much for a wonderful uh, share. And what I heard in the share, I don't get choked up, is a life living the 12th step of service throughout your whole life, including your way of making a living even, <laughs> was was being of service. So that's wonderful. I also wanted to point out that on this meeting here, if I have it right, looking at the participants, we have people from all over the United States, from Sweden, United Kingdom, Russia, Iran, France, Portugal, Belgium, Netherlands, Spain, Egypt, United Arab Emirates, and I think India and China as well. And I may have missed a country in there, and I'm sorry if I did. Now, quickly, my question is, you said you were sober for six months before SA really got, got formed. What, what were those early meetings like, and what literature did you use? What format? I mean, how, how did that all work before, before things gelled finally? If you'll read the, uh, the, the booklet that has been put out about the beginning of SA, I always thought that, <clears throat> I always thought that, that our 1983 group was the beginning of SA, and we really were not the beginning of SA. Uh, Jess had a couple of conference meetings before that, and... Um, <clears throat> I can't remember if it's 80 or 83 or what. My husband put the booklet up here for me to look at, but I don't, I don't see it. So I could tell you about it. But um, they did, he had meetings. It's just that at the particular one that I went to, this was the first conference meeting for all of them. And there were none of the ones that had been to previous conference meetings that were at that one. 
And within my knowledge, I don't know if any of them had ever came back. So I don't know who they were or anything about them. Um, but they, he, he tried to start it several times. And then it, there was just enough of us there. And, and uh, God spoke to us. And it just moved out from our group into the world. Um, like the first conference afterwards was in, I think, Salt Lake and, and um, um, Phoenix and, and Warm Beach, Washington, and uh, Oklahoma. Those were the, and they were small conferences, like 25, 30, 40, 50. If we got to 100, we thought we were doing good. And uh, now we have 600, I think, at the last one. So it's just grown. One of the nice things, though, about it that we had was that the Essanons also uh, wanted to meet at the same time so that we could have family affair along with it. And it worked out very good. That helped Essanons grow. And it also helped, uh, I think, SA grow. I think that uh, it helped marriages that, that uh, would not have been kept together if it hadn't been for going close together. So uh, that that part I, I missed in this last conference when they chose to do otherwise because I think it helped us as well as them. Um, thank you, Sylvia. Thank you. Thank you. Did I answer your question? Yes, that's, that's fine. <laughs> I didn't know if I just rambled if I answered. <laughs> <laughs> okay, does somebody has a last question for Sylvia, please? Because we're running up to time. I see Susie B's hand is up. Susie, go ahead, please. Oh, I have to unmute you. Okay. Thank you. Um, hi, Sylvia, this is Susie, sexaholic. Thank you so much for your share. Can you hear me, Sylvia? Yes, and I could see you back in the beginning when they were flashing around. I said, oh, there's Susie Goody. <laughs> Good. Okay. Um, there, uh, I noticed a lot of women coming in who are so terrified to go to meetings with men. Um, I right. just wondered what, what, if you would talk about that a little bit. What, how can we help new women in the program be more comfortable? Well, I don't know what to tell you on that because um, when I got in, I was the only female, and I started mm -hmm. out that way in my in our fellowship, and that's the way it began in in Oklahoma. Was it was me, and frankly, right now, uh, the the ladies who have been sober in Oklahoma have moved to other states, mm -hmm. uh, and. Um, uh, we had I have three other ladies in Oklahoma that are sober, so I'm not very good with knowing how to get women to be in this fellowship at all. All I can say is just continue to share your story, and I think that the more uh, women that you're able to, and uh, one of my sponsorees uh, put together a talk, I think, talk uh, about 
sharing it with men in the room and how much it helped her grow. And and to me, what it helped me do is I did not know how to talk to a man except the flirt. I had no idea how to talk to a man except the flirt. And flirting was my addiction. So I had to learn to not flirt. And um, um, it helped me, essay helped me learn how to not flirt. And I don't, I don't do that anymore. When I, if I, if I break loose and flirt, sometimes I feel real guilty. <laughs> I mean, it's just the only thing I do. And uh, it's, it's almost like a relapse to me. But um, that's all I know is, is to tell you to keep telling them that the men feel the same way we do. They're, it's just amazing that we are not that different. So, Thank you, Sylvia. I think this uh, young lady has set up uh, some meetings to where the lady, the, a group of the women, will go to a meeting where men are well known to be, trying to break it that way. And I think that she said it was a success the first one we went to. So, uh, if you find a female partner and go go to one, a couple of them for a while. Do that. But good luck. And, Thanks. And you're one of the ladies I was talking about that challenged and helped me. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Sylvia. Thank you, Susie. Thank you, Sylvia. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.